0: One man's uh, weird odyssey into the world of religious satire. Welcome, welcome. This is your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, the world's most highly educated stand-up comedian. Welcome to this episode of the Comical Heathen Podcast. Today's episode features my interview with Peter Hinchliffe and Michael Nugent of Atheist Ireland. Helping me uh, discuss and prepare for that interview is going to be my good friend, guest co-host Sean Lynch. I'll have more about uh, the interview coming up shortly. Let me welcome you to today's episode. In particular, today's a special episode for me. Today's episode is the launch of what we at The Comical Heathen are calling Season 2. So welcome to Season 2, Episode 1. The premise of the podcast remains the same. I am writing a book about religious satire, slowly but surely, writing this hypothetical book. And I started this podcast as a way to share interviews that I was doing for that book on religion, on satire, on comedy, on comedy. And if you go back through season one, you'll see all kinds of interviews, a lot of comedians, some writers, some other interesting people. You know, be sure to check that out. We wanted to start a season two just to indicate evolution in the podcast and what we're trying to accomplish. So I've spent about the past five, maybe six years now researching, writing. There's a publisher I'm working with but I don't want to say anything until you know things are more official in the regards to publishing this hypothetical book of mine. But I'm just saying I've been thinking about satire uh, more than the average bear for the past five-plus years. And one of the things that often comes up is, is something to the effect of, is satire, is religious satire, is political satire, so-called preaching to the choir. This came up sometimes in earlier episodes. It's a theme, people bring it up, critics bring it up, people wonder... Like, is there really any point to it, any deeper point? Maybe it's a good laugh, maybe it's a good time. It it really affecting things? And that kind of question became in the, to the forefront of my mind when I saw this headline early in 2021. It was a headline in the Irish Times, and the RTE, that's like the Irish BBC, they had a New Year's Eve countdown show, and it included various uh, skits and sketches. And the first headline that I saw, because this became an ongoing story with several headlines, but the first headline that I saw was RTE apologizes for blasphemous sketch after 1,100 complaints. There is a uh, parody news site in Ireland called the Waterford Whispers, and they're not, uh, if you've never heard of them, they're not necessarily like well-known outside of Ireland, Waterford Whispers News, that's the proper name of the satirical group. And uh, they provided some programming for the show or some sketches. And they ran a sketch in which God was arrested. I actually did a email Waterford Whispers and, uh, to see if they wanted to talk about this. And uh, no one got back to me, which is fine. Maybe that's a conversation for another day, but I still wanted to cover this. Let me describe this sketch to you. You can find it online, but... You know, just out of respect for the Waterford Whispers, if I, I didn't want to replay it without their express permission. So I am going to just describe this sketch to you. It starts with a uh, news anchor, and the news anchor was um, Mr. Mac Griana. He's an actual former RTE newsreader. So it was very sort of meta Orson wells like we're not sure if it's a parody or not moment, I'm sure. But in this short sketch, the Irish Times described it as being 23 seconds long. Mr. Griana reads a mocked-up news story, which God has been arrested. And this is what the supposed news copy said. I'm reading this from the newspaper right now. The five-billion-year-old stood accused of forcing himself on a young Middle Eastern migrant and allegedly impregnating her against her will, before being sentenced to two years in prison with the last 24 months suspended. And then they had a clip of a man dressed as God being led away by, you know, guards. The god characters heard shouting over his shoulder to the cameras. It was over two thousand years ago. So that was the sketch. You know, uh, amusing, not amusing, cute, whatever. There's a context to this joke, which is that um, Irish courts have had trouble uh, trying people for these sorts of to say uh, things they've been accused of. Courts are very they are very uh, uh, lenient and unresponsive. And in this era of uh, hashtag Me Too, I know some people want to see the Irish courts take a more modern view of these very serious types of accusations. And of course, Ireland has its history as a Catholic country, with some religious parody, religious satire. Fine. 23-second joke, got over 1,100 complaints, and resulted in the RTE removing the sketch completely from like the online version of that New Year's Eve show. A leader of these complainers was one um, Archbishop Eamon Martin, who tweeted about it. Let me read his tweet. Irish Times, January 1st, 2021. Archbishop denounces RTE New Year's Eve show's satirical report accusing God of rape. Archbishop Eamon Martin called for its removal, calling it an outrageous clip. This outrageous clip should be removed immediately, announced by all people of goodwill. And he's shocked, shocked that the producer, editor of the program didn't realize how deeply offensive it was. First of all, I mean, Monty Python, is from 50 years ago, And they had many parodies of letters of people complaining about how deeply shocked they were. I don't know how anyone writes a letter of complaint in the world after Monty Python. I would have thought Monty Python had put the nail into the coffin. Of letters of complaint of people expressing shock and outrage. To broadcast such a deeply offensive and blasphemous clip about God or our Blessed Mother Mary during the Christmas season. On the eve of the solemn Feast of Mary... Mother of God is insulting to all Catholics and Christians. Another part of the context of this little puzzle is that during the aughts for about a decade, Ireland had on its book, Blasphemy Laws. This is partially where the organization Atheist Ireland enters into my story because I reached out to them to get more information about this situation. They also posted on their blogs and were also approached for some interviews from different media outlets. So the organization Atheist Ireland became part of the story. In the interview that comes in later on in this episode, one of the things we're going to talk about is the blasphemy laws, how they came to be. They were actually overturned in early 2020. So part of this sketch, even existing, is that it was one of the first efforts by the RTE to do something even a little bit edgy post-blasphemy laws. So even that shows the chilling effect. You know, blasphemy laws are free speech issues and freedom of religion issues. They're a human rights issue. I'll remind you that in Egypt, Bassem Yosef was arrested. I'll remind you that in Russia, Pussy Riot was arrested. In Russia, they passed new laws making statements offensive to people's religion illegal because of Pussy Riot, blasphemy laws, our freedom of speech issues, our freedom of worship issues, and our human rights issues. And it is really weird to me. I mean, it is really weird. Why is a any religious leader weighing in on a joke? It's a joke. It's just like Facebook, man. If you don't like my comment, just keep scrolling. You don't have to register complaint every time your, your friend or someone on your Facebook friend makes some comment you disagree with. Notice on Facebook, when there's like political or social comments, you get a lot of like, your friends like it, but the people who are pissed want to comment. You know, I can leave a comment. I'm not losing any sleep over your Facebook comments, but it's always a people... Comment. Why? Why? You know, I don't go into your church and tell you how to collect money or what kind of silly hats to wear. You be you. Leave the jokes to the comedians. It comes up in the interview, but I'm going to just say this now. Do you think some doofus in Ohio with his little podcast in his basement is going to be talking about Waterford Whispers and some 23-second sketch if the Archbishop Amon Martin had not complained about it in the first place? Think of how interesting and ignored it would have been if he had just scrolled on by. But no, he had to make an issue out of it. You know, and I'm not here to talk about the spotty history of the Catholic Church, as in, you know, where do they get off on their high hats telling us how to co- commodify? You know, they don't have a great record. You know, it was Catholic priest, not in Ireland, but in Poland last year, 2019, who had a book burning of Harry Potter books. You know, I don't want to hear complaints about my stupid joke from an organization that is burning Harry Potter books because there's something in Deuteronomy about stoning witches. I mean, yeah, all the best stonings are in Deuteronomy. Let's face it, right? In fact, Deuteronomy would be a great name for a head shop. Hey, man, come on down to Deuteronomy, man, and get stoned. And I mean really stoned, man. And, you know, that book burning was in Poland, not in Ireland, but it was Catholic church, Catholic priests. You know, I can't take anyone seriously who, when they're doing their job, look like a cosplay that's gone wrong. Now, I've performed at a lot of anime conventions, and at anime convention there are no cosplays that go wrong. Every single one of them is a work of art and a work of beauty. And I love you all. When I go to a church and see a guy in a big hat and purple robes swinging incense around, I think, this is somebody who wants to cosplay. But they just don't quite know which anime they belong in. You know, Poland also has uh, the world's largest statue of Jesus, which, fine, have any statue you want, but I'm sure somewhere in the Bible is something about idolatry. I'm not a Catholic. Call Archbishop Martin and have him explain to you how you have the world's tallest statue of Jesus when the Bible specifically says no idolatry. Plus, what do you think? Like a medium-sized statue isn't good enough? You think God is up there in heaven with binoculars going, I can't see how much they love me. Oh, look over there. There's a statue finally. Someone made a statue of me big enough. Those are the ones who are getting into heaven. A rich man has as much chance of getting into heaven as a giant statue of Jesus has of getting through the eye of a needle. You know, why do you need such a large Jesus? You don't lose him. He's not your car keys. You don't misplace Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, he's everywhere. You don't wake up in the morning running around like a chicken with your head cut off going, Honey, have you seen my Savior? I'm late for work. You know, he's not your car keys. What kind of Savior is this? You know get your gods sorted out this is weird it is weird when religious people weigh in on jokes my favorite word for priest is cleric all these clerics these learned men I love the word cleric because it's also what you call battle priests in Dungeons and Dragons and it just reminds me that organized religion is just a role-playing game that's gone very very wrong my rundown on the waterford whispers situation i thought it was pretty outrageous and to help me discuss it i'm now going to bring in my co-host very good friend touring headliner formerly uh one of the co-creators of celebrity deathmatch and other uh, writer for other television projects please welcome to the show sean lynch What's sean lynch? Here? <laughs> how you doing buddy hey thanks for doing this with us Always how you brilliant. doing today <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging in there, man. No better way to spend a Sunday than uh, chatting with a pal about silly stuff. is this a crazy world we live in? Yesterday, you were attending a Zoom wedding. Now you're yes. attending a Zoom satire podcast. Yes, there wasn't <laughs> a dry lens in the joint. So, Sean, I'm going to turn the, this over to that interview, and uh, you and I will come out the other side and uh, have a few more minutes. You know, let me know what you All think. right, looking forward yeah. to it. Well, This is your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, the world's most highly educated stand-up comedian. and I was so excited to be able to contact, uh, through the Atheist Ireland website, a couple of uh, gentlemen from that organization who are going to tell us more about what was going on with the Waterford Whispers and the RTE and uh, what it was like at the epicenter of this controversy, so to speak. Let me welcome uh, my guests. I have two gentlemen with me. One is uh, Michael Nugent, a chairperson from the uh, Atheist Ireland. Yeah, that's right. Chairperson okay. chairperson of Atheist Ireland. Okay. We're, we're okay. a voluntary advocacy
1: group that campaigns both for to promote atheism as a more reliable worldview than faith or religion. But we also promote uh, secularism in terms of separation of church and state. And when we're doing that, we're willing to work alongside Religious groups who also promote separation of church and state.
0: Excellent, thank you, Michael. Welcome. I want to get into almost every word that you just said while I have you <laughs> with me. But let's welcome our other uh, guest. This is Peter Hinchliffe, uh, the leader of the Kerry Group of the Atheist Ireland. Welcome, Peter.
2: Oh, thank you very much. I, I, I it does. It's only a word. Less a leader, more just a representative, really. There's a few of us down here compared okay. to. Okay, uh, <laughs> you're described
0: of online as runs the <laughs> atheist right. theory well, group. So. that's
2: probably true, but uh, <laughs> the other three people do do stuff now and again.
0: <laughs> All but passionate foursome.
1: Sorry, Jenny. It's actually quite relevant as a distinction in, in, that, in that the things that we do combine both, um, you know, political lobbying at a national and an international level against mm-hmm. blasphemy laws, um, but but also, and what Peter is is, is better able to articulate, is the, the impact, you know, in in, in mm-hmm. Peter's case, in small rural community, and in, in other cases in, in cities around the country, where, where the impact on the ground can be can be much more deleterious because. They're the areas sometimes where the Catholic Church still has residues of its influence that it doesn't have in, in the main cities. Okay. Yeah, we,
2: we, we pick up the politics, local politics, local radio, local papers. It gets quite passionate sometimes. If you didn't have these smaller groups around the country, you could miss out on quite, quite an important part of the discussion. So we play our part. Well, talking about the
0: hard work you do on the local level uh, like sort of brings us to how I came across your name because you apparently were involved in a local newspaper exchange about the Waterford Whispers comedy sketch.
2: Yeah, I was contacted by a local, local paper, the Kerryman, who sent a list of questions to me and a list of mirror questions to Father mm-hmm. McManara, uh, who's a local priest, um, actually a very nice guy. They, they sent us this list of questions. We both responded, he responded on the phone verbally, so he didn't have a copy. Okay. I responded, I sent, sent the copy back in response to all the questions. And what I found was they, were, they told us they were going to put them side by side so our opinions would be there in the hole. Right. What actually happened was they conversed it into a sort of conversation piece. They just picked out certain right. lines. Didn't represent what I'd said very well. Left mm-hmm. out all the little blasphemous mine, landmines I'd left in it <laughs> just to make it more interesting for people. Uh-huh. And because that was on topic, and I wanted to see how far they would go. They were discussing blasphemy. Would they be willing to actually put somebody's comments in when they were contextual? And it was mm-hmm. a bit of a hack. So I rang for him and we got together and said, we'd like to do it again. So we put it through our own internal uh, magazine, which is the secular Sunday magazine from Atheist Island, which shows what sort of guy he is, because he was willing to send his stuff into (laughs) an audience that wouldn't be on his part at all.
0: Um, You know, I'll put a link to the whole article as I found it in a description of this podcast so people can see it for themselves. You said you put in a lot of uh, blasphemous uh, landmines. It's sort of interesting when I read it myself initially, It was hard for me to know what those would be necessarily. You know what I mean? Because I would be, you know, very like-minded.
2: It can be, of course, it's in the eye of the beholder. The whole point of the article, really, what I wrote was that blasphemy is in the eye of the beholder. You know, this is the old line. I can't be in charge of your level of offense. You know, I mean, if you're offended by what I say. So simply saying there was no God. I'd look forward to a skit about Mohammed being arrested for vape of his um, six-year-old right. child bride.
0: Michael and Peter, just this simple question. When the Waterford Whispers piece came out, a part of a New Year's Eve show, sketch that they yeah. did, did you see it? When
2: did you first hear about it?
0: Yeah, no, we only really found out about it when the uh,
1: Catholic bishops started complaining about it.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, RT is the main channel in context. You know, it's sort of, the BBC you might know more of. You know, it's the mm-hmm. one people pay their licence fee for um, people have a, a sense of ownership over it and they feel it has a sense of responsibility back towards them. But anyway, sorry, carry on, Michael.
1: Yeah, Now, what was interesting about it was that it was the first attempt by the Catholic Church to really try and, and block things after the law against blasphemy was removed. The, the, the history of it is quite interesting, in, of blasphemy laws in Ireland, because when the Irish Constitution was, was mm-hmm. uh, put in place in 1937, it included a clause saying that blasphemy is an offence Which is punishable in accordance with law, but there wasn't any attempts to put it into law until the 1960s and then it was put into law and and there there was a great exchange where the then Justice Minister was defending his blasphemy law, but it didn't include any definition of what blasphemy was. And he okay. was asked, like, legally, what does it consist of? What does the offence consist of? It? And he said, uh, blasphemy is what everybody knows it to be. <laughs> <laughs> which, is a, which is a very Irish way of approaching, you know, passing laws that are going to yeah. you
2: know,
1: potentially fine people or, or, or whatever. So so then the only time that it was tested was in about 1990. I think it, it, it was after the um, the divorce referendum, there, there was a cartoon in one of the papers and there was a blasphemy case taken against the cartoonist. The, the courts found that it was that the law was unenforceable for the very reason that I've outlined, because it didn't define what the offence consisted okay. of. So, so that left us in a kind of limbo for a while where, where the law was on the books, but mm-hmm. it couldn't in practice be enforced. And then for some reason, the government decided uh, 10 years ago or so, uh, to, when, when they were overhauling the entire defamation act with, within which the blasphemy law resided, it, it was called um, blasphemous defamation. We expected at that stage they would take that opportunity to just delete it. But instead, they, they took the opportunity to put in a definition to make it enforceable, okay. which was absolutely bizarre. Because, and, and the definition was, was, was terrible. I mean, the first test of the definition was that it had to cause outrage, and, and which, which was bear in mind 10 years ago. We were at the height of uh, yeah. Islamic cartoon controversies and things like that. Okay. So, so I mean, the last thing you want to do is create incentives in the law for people to demonstrate outrage. You know, right. it's just completely counterproductive. Yes. But w- what we did in, in, in response to atheist Ireland is, is we, did, we did a couple of things. One is is on the day that it came into force, we published on our website um, a number of blasphemy statements just to, just to test the, the sure. government's willingness to enforce it or not. And then the other thing, because as well as being a dangerous law, it's obviously a silly law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we founded a church uh, to worship the justice minister and the, the justice minister was Dermot Hearn. So we formed the Church of Dermatology. And, we, <laughs> and our, our, our role was to protect him from being blasphemed against. Okay. And our beliefs included that Dermot Hearn created the universe out of nothing. And that, that, okay. uh, that ice cream wafers were literally the body of Dermot Ahern, And so, so we, we had all of these things that were obviously... Aimed at highlighting the silliness of the law, but we combined it with serious lobbying because one of the first things that happened when it, when the law was passed in Ireland mm. is that the Islamic states at the United Nations started citing wording from the Irish law as what they wanted okay. implemented internationally, and, and they were. I mean, the reason they were doing that is, is they they like pointing to Western states who have <coughs> blasphemy laws and saying, well, look, you've got blasphemy laws, you know, why can't we have laws against right. what they call defamation of Islam? Mm-hmm. And, and so they were using it to justify persecuting um, not only atheists, but, but minority mm-hmm. faith members in, in their countries. So it's a very strange campaign in that it's a it's a combination of something that's very silly and also very dangerous. Yes, and the high-
2: highlighting the, the Islamic states of the UN was a major part of my approach right. anyway to when, when, we were doing, when we were having the referendum, when I was approaching people on the street or whatever else online. I mean, that, that, and that really took people back. You know, they, they, they didn't realise the effect it was having So That was useful in context. I was just wondering, uh, Michael, if you remember the Stephen Fry incident, which I think highlighted it. Yeah, was that, that was, that that was
1: another... Of... Um another time and that was uh, Stephen Fry is a a kind of comedian and actor, like very well-respected English comedian actor. He appeared on a program on RTE called The Meaning of Life and he and the presenter who again was a kind of a a very well-respected long uh, respected Mm -hmm. Irish presenter called Gay Byrne and he asked Stephen Fry you know what he would say if he was confronted by God after he died and Stephen Fry's answer was, you know, how, how he said he would ask him, how dare you create a world in which there's such misery, you know, that, that's utterly evil. You know, why should I respect right. such a capricious, mean minded, stupid God who, who creates a world so full of injustice and pain? Right. And there were complaints then made about that. And the uh, police investigated it.
0: Right. And
1: they, they now they didn't uh, take any action against them. But the reason that they didn't take any action was another dangerous reason is they found that, that that because the law said it has to cause outrage and they said they didn't find that there was sufficient outrage, you know, demonstrated by the public to right. meet that test. And again, that's so dangerous. That's almost even more dangerous than if they had taken the case. Because that again would mean that, that if, if somebody had gone to the police after that and said, say if there was an, another Islamic cartoon issue, Right. And, and a group of Muslims went, we want a blasphemy case taken against that. All the guards could say is, is, um, well, I'm sorry, you know, you'll have to go away and, and demonstrate some outrage.
0: Break,
2: break <laughs> a few windows.
0: Well, you know, we had um, politics, outrageous politics demonstrated in the United States on January 6th. So this is yeah. what happens when your leaders encourage the outrage rather than... Yeah you know, civil yeah. debate of some kind.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and that's the core of, of opposition to blasphemy laws. Is, is that whatever you think about things, you should be able to discuss them civilly. You should be able to respect you, you should respect people's right to hold their beliefs. Right. But that doesn't mean that you have to respect the content of the beliefs. The content of the beliefs has to be open to challenge. And indeed under human rights law like, that's pretty much accepted. That not only is it valid to challenge you know religious beliefs, it, it's valid. to So even if it causes offence and even if the criticism is unreasonable uh, uh, and, or, or even indeed, if, you know, if, if it's if it involves ridicule, they, these are settled things in human rights law, apart from, you know, in, in Islamic countries. We do a lot of our campaigning at the United Nations. Uh, and, and at the OSCE, which is the Organization for Security and, and Cooperation in Europe. The, the United States delegations have always been very uh, strongly supportive of freedom of expression. They're one of the, the, the delegations that we, can, that we feel comfortable, you know, knowing that they're, that they're on the side on this issue.
0: Now, Michael, wasn't the, uh, I've read online that the Irish blasphemy laws um, of the past decade that you describe were overturned in 2020? Yeah, we we had a
1: lengthy campaign. To have a, Because it was in the constitution, it required a referendum okay. to change the constitution to allow the government to then uh, repeal the law against blasphemy. So we have a lengthy campaign just to get that referendum. And okay. it, it, it kind of started with when, when the new blasphemy law was put in place. 10 okay. years ago and it took us about a decade to get the referendum now it's part of a wider series of things like the, the people of Ireland have moved on from, from the Catholic Church there, mm-hmm. there were two other referendums during that time one to um, legalise marriage equality for gay people and one to legalise abortion and, and, and so this was part of that and there's now a fairly solid on those three referendums a fairly solid two to one majority yeah. in favour of liberal positions on, on, on those issues that, that referendum took place a couple of years ago and we won we probably more comfortably than, than, we, than we thought because there, there was still, you mm. know, there, there, there was still, there's still a large minority that mm. uh, feel they still run the country through Catholic views. And there's still a tendency for politicians to pander to them because there's a feeling that older people and more conservative people are more likely to vote than our, you know, younger and more liberal people. So, so we were quite pleased now to, to get that through. And, and it's, it's probably the most significant change that Atheist Ireland has has managed to, to bring about mm-hmm. is removing law against blasphemy. We still have a few other things like that. We still have to, to, to challenge the, or are continuing to challenge the control that the Catholic Church still has over our education system. Yeah. So there's still a lot of things to do, but the distinction I would make is that whereas Ireland used to be a Catholic country, It's now a pluralist country with Catholic laws that we're gradually dismantling.
0: In that um, decade that there was this active blasphemy law, and you mentioned the Stephen Fry case, uh, that video of him answering that question, it went somewhat viral, actually. I've I've certainly seen it myself. Were there many other instances of investigations or indeed prosecutions?
1: Well, no, one of the difficulties is um, that because most media outlets are set up to run a business and make money by producing programs or or newspapers, Mm -hmm. they're not going to risk doing anything that that is going to get them into a a legal case. So there's a self-censorship involved where where the media outlets will just, just not publish anything that, 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 that could get them into trouble. I know like I was told before various live interviews, um, including on rte which is the, the national radio station here I, I you know i've been told to you know make sure you don't say anything blasphemous so right. so the, the, what, what what happens is that there's this kind of soft effect of, of of um of the media just just silencing itself so so the, the government, government doesn't have to take cases we we
2: had a we had a member on the Joe. was it john who was told he he couldn't make a comment during john hamill yeah because i tried to repeat it Locally on the radio, I was hoping they'd stop me, but they didn't. <laughs> they let me go ahead, <laughs> um, so I did repeat it. Well,
0: yeah. One of the things I noticed in the um, you know the coverage of the Waterford Whispers sketch, I mean, first of all, there were complaints, and then Iman Martin, Archbishop Iman Martin, like sort of represented the complainers in the press, and then also in your piece, Peter, the um, Friar McNamara, who you did the mirror questions with. Father. Yeah. A father, sorry, both you know, seem to speak about the need for blasphemy laws. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> yeah, but once it brought back entirely religious man, you know, it's, it's, this is sacred ground deep, deep. And from the brief conversations I've had, obviously outside of the peace of him on I I know him, but not that well. <laughs> he, he he considers the sacred to be sacred, and it goes further than just religious offense. Well, there's after, all sorts of offenses
0: after their deluge of complaints. Or I don't know, they claim to have gotten a, a thousand plus complaints. I don't.
2: Yeah, okay. the same that, people that over and over again. That counts a large
0: number of complaints for the RTE, yeah. but they did um, remove that sketch from the uh, stream that people can watch if they want to go back and watch the show. Yeah. In America, famously, we had uh, in the early 20th century prohibition, mm-hmm. and then that was repealed. And there was a short period of a couple of months where it's kind of reported, I wasn't there, <laughs> that people... Partied a lot like uh, liquor Christ was made so. free, freely uh, legally available, and uh, people you know had celebratory parties. I don't know if you if you believe the caricature, there was like a drunken six months in American history. It, it, of, it,
2: wasn't, it wasn't my experience that we became any more blasphemous. Well, that's after. why I was
0: wondering if there was um, any kind of celebratory I people free people really speech. Felt,
2: I don't think people felt the weight of the restriction on themselves personally. It was, as Michael was saying, it was in what you didn't see. You didn't see the articles that weren't printed in, in the papers. Sure. Um, so you wouldn't have seen the sketch that wasn't shown before, but before or right, you, or well, what the writer they didn't did, bother to write. So,
1: yeah, and this is the first test, really, since the blasphemy okay. law, of, of, of RTA being prepared to... Like, RTA wouldn't have published that sketch before the, the sure. blasphemy right. law was removed. Now, they did publish it, and I yeah. thought it was quite a tame sketch. Um, and it was... Uh, so so, th- so there were complaints against it. And initially, it's quite interesting, initially RTE didn't remove it. Initially they apologised if they offended people, but, th- but they said they were keeping it on, on, on the playback player. And mm-hmm. then they had an internal meeting and they uh, decided themselves that, that to, to remove it. They decided themselves that they'd yeah. broken the law. Even though you know, there's a test available, which is you know complaints as well as to RTE can be made to the Broadcasting Authority. Who, who would judge whether or not it, it breaks the, the law? And so, what RTE did was that they decided to report themselves to okay. the broadcasting authority. And so, what we have done now, which has never been done before, and in, in, in fact, they, the the broadcasting commission have told us that, that this hasn't been done before. So that, so they're, I'm not sure how it's going to to uh, to play <laughs> out. But we contacted the broadcasting authority and and, and said said here is, said given that RTE has reported itself to right. you over this, that means that there's not going to be anybody defending the, right. the case. So here are, are some defences of this case based on arguments that you, your, that RTA itself has made before and right. that you yourself have stood up before in terms of, of the, the legitimacy of offending people. And they've said, well, we, there, there's nothing in the law that enables us to take into account third party you know, assessments, but we will pass it on to the members of, of the commission for their information. So it'll be interesting to see if, if that oh, has right. any effect, because we've relied on on their own rulings in the past right. on, on offence and things like that. You know, it, it's just it's just a very silly thing for RTE to be doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's that there, there's obviously within RTE, given that they did broadcast it in the first place right. and given that they did initially apologize for offending, but right. said that they were going to keep it up on, on their website. There's obviously a, a division within RTE between people who okay. want to be more liberal and people who want to, to maintain the old regime.
0: As a, as a comedian and satirist, I just wonder this, you know, this chilling effect and self-censorship, you know, clearly must affect, you know, comedy as well as the arts in general.
2: We we're hearing more and more about this. I mean, Michael could obviously better answer this, but I'll just say I'm, I'm hearing that the comedians are refusing to go to college campuses, um, mm-hmm. are refusing to do certain gigs because they just know they can't do their good material. Right. Or they're not free to do the material they want to do. That, that concerns me. It's, it's 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 still blasphemy in a sense. People are still saying, you know, you can't say that because I hold this sacred and I'm affected. Right. So there are wearing they're wearing they're
1: secular groups who have their own version of yeah. religious faith and dogma. <laughs> and their own their own blasphemies and their own shamings. You know, and 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 their own desire to control what people can and can't say, and one of the big dangers that, that we think is 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 happening at the moment is is that they move towards having uh, laws against what they call hate speech, which is a very ambiguous, uh, yes. ill-defined term. That laws against hate speech could end up being blasphemy laws by another name. But another thing, by the way, and there's an irony in it as well, which is which is like let let's say, I mean, you're in where I, Ohio is it? Yes. If it wasn't for this. There's no way that you would be even aware of Waterford Whispers news.
0: Indeed, there's, a you know, so there's an advantage.
1: There's an advantage to the people who are are being. Uh, you know, it, well, let's qualify in democracies where you're you you know you're you're just more, where the worst that will happen is you get fined.
2: Right.
1: you know, there, there's an advantage. Uh, in, in highlighting your work. Now it's different, obviously, if, if, if your uh, version of blasphemy is going to involve um, having to worry about somebody coming and cutting your head off.
0: You know, in the, I'm thinking of the Waterford Whispers as our example on the table. In addition to me being in Ohio and have, being able to hear about it, I was able to hear about it thanks to the internet. So the Waterford Whispers has a you know, potentially international reach. So the internet must have an effect on blasphemy laws when you're in a, like a local situation.
2: Yeah, you you can appeal to and offend people worldwide. You know, who traditionally might be living in a country that's more mm-hmm. fundamentalist, if you like, ph- theologically. Now, within we've with obviously the government restrictions in place, but now now can see this material from all over the world, and it's got to be changing things. Right. It's got to be. good. I, I thought the internet when it came out was going to be this fantastic project. <laughs> which was going to support critical thinking, and we'd all. Be logical, reasonable, rational people by this point. That hasn't worked. I mean, it's obviously gone in the other direction completely for many people. I it, it like gather that up.
0: that studies show that like both have happened, and it has had a kind of impact on positive impact on critical thinking yeah. skills and even knowledge of history. But it has become a platform for disinformation and you know radicalization. So both things are true somehow, yes. sort of. Uh, one I of the mean, positive you, you things is, is that,
1: say, if you move beyond just pure blasphemy into, into just promoting the ideas of reason and applying reason to evidence as being a more reliable worldview than religion, right. like, what, one of my favorite things that's happened is that Richard Dawkins has had uh, The God Delusion and, and other books published, uh, translated into Arabic and other languages and allowing people to download them free on the right. internet. So, so there's a whole load of information that is now available to people in countries where, where the regimes have in the past been able to more repressively mm-hmm. prevent people from even seeing things. So, so they, even if they can't uh, freely express the ideas, they have access to getting the ideas.
0: Oh, but
2: yeah, um, the, the downside to the rise in offence taken is that Richard Dawkins was recently deplatformed from Dublin. Uh, he was yep. coming to Dublin. Speak and was deplatformed. So we have the other side of it. You know, in, in a country where I, I've i been deceived to talk and speak twice in Ireland already. So, and
1: those deplatformings, by the way, are typically now by secular groups. You know, right. they're are yeah. you know students' unions and and, and things like that. Right. It's, it's not the Catholic Church. It, it, no. It's it's young people who who are are, are uh, who you would expect to be more liberal, saying uh, you know we are our, our primary. Uh, responsibility in a debating society is to create a safe space for our members. The distinction that we try to make, if, if you want to encapsulate our position of these ideas in, in one sentence, is Please. you have rights, your beliefs do not.
2: Yes. And okay. that, that's
1: the distinction that we try to make with people. Okay. We completely respect you, your you as a person. We respect your right as a person under freedom of thought, conscience, religion, and belief to believe what you want to believe, um, as long as you're not. And we respect your right to manifest that belief as long as you're not interfering in the rights of others. But but the content of your beliefs don't have any rights. Right. The contents of your beliefs are open to uh, challenge, debate, uh, ridicule, you know wh- whatever people want to say about about the content of your beliefs they're entitled to do.
0: Does comedy, uh, comedy writing, um, Michael, you've written several books in your musical, uh, which have a comedic flavor to them. Does comedy uh, or satire have a, a role to play in these debates? Or what role does satire have to play in these debates? Uh, it, it, it has a
1: large, I mean, it's, it's a perfectly, uh, yeah, it's a perfectly, it has been for centuries. It's a perfectly valid way to highlight silly ideas is mm. through satire. Now, mm-hmm. the, the one qualification that I would put on it is I don't think satire is uh, a, an acceptable, and also the law doesn't say, think that satire is an acceptable cloak for defamation. So okay. if you if you, if you yeah. want to um, uh, satirise ideas or, or if you want to satirise organisations to some extent, but if, if, if you're using satir, satire to uh, suggest that individual people are you know guilty of criminal activity for for example you know that's the line that that, that I don't okay. think that is acceptable to cross. Well I think a, you have to be able to see. You, yeah,
2: go ahead Peter you go first. I, I think you have to be able to see the funny side of an outraged bishop or an outraged mob of very religious people when there's so much bad out there that they could be outraged about Right. that they choose this topic, this subject to come down mm. and crash down on them. This, this this, this, is the hill they're going to stand on. There's a huge history of abuse in Ireland. The, mm. you, you, this natural outrage, right. if, if we'd seen that natural outrage pour out, we could have been convinced that they cared. But in in those cases, it had to almost, I'm not talking about a specific bishop here, mm. I don't know his history in it, but it had to be pulled from them. It was like pulling teeth to get them to, to be upset and angry. So... There's there's huge satire, I think, in in mm-hmm. watching these people develop an argument and and stand up and say how offended they are and how hurt they personally are.
0: Well, I may be I may be paraphrasing slightly, but John Cleese once said something to the effect of "Some people need to be offended." <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's a lot of variation of that. I mean, there's there's another comedian whose name I can't remember at moment, but I saw it in a routine. I think he's from Australia, where and this was about ten years ago, and he was saying. Uh, you know, somebody says I after one of my shows, you know, I, I'm offended. I'll go, Yeah, right, okay, you're offended but then nothing happens <laughs> you, know, it's, you know, you're offended right fair enough <laughs> it's, it's not as if i, I you know I, I went to this show and i i heard a comedian say something i was offended and then a bolt of lightning came down <laughs> you know it, it's just get over it, 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 it uh, it's, you're perfectly entitled to be offended i'm offended by lots of things i'm offended by lots of things in in, in the, the bible and the quran but i'm not mm-hmm. trying to ban them
0: um and, and michael i do know from um you know, researching your biography that you, you're the author of several books. Uh, since that's not what I contact you to interview about, but I'd love to hear like in, in, in for a while, one moment, tell me about your writing. What what would you like people to know about your writing or what should I look at? Well, a lot of it is a while ago now because um, for, for the last decade or
1: so, uh, I, I've been concentrating mostly on political advocacy with, with Atheist Ireland. I've done a few comedy books. Some of them were books of, of uh, kind of prank letters to famous people okay. and their real-life replies. One of them was a, a more ser- serious one. It was a book about the internet in, in the mid-1990s. I wrote a, a book called Ireland on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, just when the, the, the web aspect of the internet was just kicking mm-hmm. me in. I was just trying to, to bring people up to date on what this might mm-hmm. entail for, for the future. And then I've, I've written various... Uh, Contributions to to more serious books on the likes of of you know secular education yeah. and and you know political issues that that will be related to 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 atheist Ireland. So it's a kind of a mixed bag. I, I kind of go through f- through phases of being serious and phases of being silly. And I, I think probably probably either of them is a good retreat from the sure. other when I need to. What's the first book of Michael Nugent's I should try to read if I want to? My favourite is, in fact, my first book, which is called Dear John, The John McKay Letters, which was a series of send-up letters to famous people and organisations and real-life replies from them. Now, that was written a few decades ago, and it's it's under the pseudonym John McKay. So it's The Dear John Letters by John McKay. But if you want to uh, get a flavour of what I write about at the moment, um, Mm -hmm. which is more serious stuff a lot of the time with some Mm -hmm. comedy, my website, um, michaelnugent.com, has a lot of stuff there that
0: you might be interested in. Well, that and that link will definitely be included in this um, description of this podcast for people to look up and and wander into the writings of Michael Nugent. What advice would you give a young writer if a, if a young writer wanted to write about satire or politics? And uh, you know, you you write a draft, or you were speaking to them. What's your advice? Uh, first thing
1: is, don't worry at all about the quality of your first draft. Most of my first drafts are terrible, you know. But but you just get it done. You get all the points done, and and then you then the writing starts writing is rewriting would be would be my main thought on it <laughs> that, that, that all you're doing in your first draft is you're putting down the raw materials that you're going to use to, to do the writing and then you then you start writing and just just keep at it and, and write stuff that you enjoy writing I, I I don't I don't necessarily agree with this thing write what you know but I will say write what you enjoy writing about don't force yourself into writing something that that's a, a strain for you because you'll just get bored with it and, and and you won't do it and then just keep just keep writing like you'll get um you know if if you do it in that way you, you'll 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 get a first draft done fairly quickly and and then you can just leave it for a while in fact I would advise people to leave your first draft for a while so that when you're looking at it again Again, you're looking at it with fresh eyes and you realize oh that bit that, that I thought was brilliant at four o'clock in the morning that night <laughs> is, is actually terrible but this little bit here which right. I just threw off as a, a, a you know almost like an afterthought I can work that into a, a into a really good section and and also do, of course do it every day you know don't don't just don't don't just leave yourself uh, you know <laughs> three weeks writing anything.
0: For the Waterford Whispers Let's say minor controversy that it ultimately, you know, probably is and turns out to be. Did you have any um, final thoughts or lessons learned about that uh, whole situation, Peter? You can go first.
2: My my thought of that is, of course, we did lose, you know, but it was taken down, and mm-hmm. that, that worries me. What because once again we won't see the effect of that because it won't be shown. If mm-hmm. in the future we decide not to do sk- sketches, sketches and whatever else, uh, what we do about that, I'm not sure. Do, do I, you know, I don't want to go, go out and just be as outrageous as we possibly can all the time, but I think we have to keep pushing mm-hmm. the limit. But, uh, you know, keeping that bar high, don't let them lower it any further. And that goes again, and I, I know I've beaten this already, it goes for those secular dogmatic groups out there who also want to lessen free speech. And of course, mm-hmm. that was trying to sound patronising, it's not just a speech that offends us, but groups we can agree with. Who are doing doing this? Who are oppressing others and mm. keeping free speech down? We, we need to hold that line, hold that bar as high as we can, and fight for that principle. And I, hopefully, more and more people are going to, you know, mm. keep doing that. I wouldn't say start doing it; keep doing it.
0: Thank you, Peter. Michael, any final thoughts or lessons learned? Well, I've been involved in a lot of political campaigns
1: in, in Ireland and internationally. Um, the 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 two Biggest have been campaigning against IRA and loyalist terrorism in Northern Ireland, for you know democratic settlements in Northern Ireland, and then on secularism and and separation of church and state generally, both in Ireland and, and internationally. And I, I think what's common to both of those that I, that I've learned over the years is that social change particularly in the, in these days and political change it, it it may seem as if you're getting nowhere and you're just you're just chipping away and, and, and nothing's really happening but if you if you look at things from the, the fall of the Berlin Wall to, the, you know, the end of apartheid in South Africa, to even the changes in, in Ireland with regard to the end of the Northern Ireland terrorism and, and a lot of the moves in terms of, of abortion and, and, and marriage equality and blasphemy going. What tends to happen is that something happens. Now, it's not something that the campaigners do or <laughs> plan. Something happens that just changes the mood in society. And then the whole thing becomes unsustainable and it crashes down very quickly. So I think that's what's going to happen to the remnants of, of, of Catholic influence on, on, on Irish society. I don't know what will cause it. Right. I don't know when it will happen. But when it does happen, I'm optimistic that it will happen quickly. And then all of the work that we've been doing will be retrospectively useful yes. in providing a roadmap to where you go next.
0: All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this. It, you know, it, it you know the the sketch itself might turn out to be a fairly minor blip in the history of satire, but it is a it, it does sort of capture a lot of themes in one location that we can talk about. It
2: really yeah, it's, it's all
0: it's all part of a process,
2: it, a never-ending process as well. So you can't really stop at one point, look back, and say, right, that's done. Uh, <laughs> it, it just keeps going. But very enjoyable. Thank you very much. Well, thank yeah, you. thanks you. for contacting us.
0: Hey, Sean, I wanted to ask you something that they brought up uh, that you might have experienced as a comedian or a television writer, mm-hmm. which is they were talking about how once the blasphemy laws are in the air, let alone they're on the books, there's a kind of chilling effect, like writers and producers self-censor because they know the trouble that it might cause them. Well, I'd say four out of five do. And then there's always that one guy who gets real inspired by it. <laughs> one guy gets that like, guy oh. more than one season is the question. Oh
1: yeah. But, but it's
0: true. I mean, so-, so that was just a teaser of the conversation Sean Lynch and I had after playing the Atheist Ireland interview with Peter and Michael. By the way, how great were Peter and Michael? I, I really appreciate them and can't thank them and the organization enough for taking the time out to um talk with me. But what's going on right now? What's going on right now is I invited Sean to uh come and debrief with me. And he and I are such good friends, and we're both, oh, what is the Japanese word I'm looking for? Oshabedi, which my wife will tell you means won't shut up. I don't know if that's an exact translation, but that's pretty much what she says to me when she says I'm being Oshabedi. Long and the short of it is, what actually happened was, Sean and I wound up up, like rapping and riffing for about 90 minutes. And uh, there is, even with editing and trimming for uh, good taste and good humor, there was no way I was going to jam cram like another 30 to 60 minutes of me and Sean into the same episode as that wonderful interview. You know, on the one hand, it deserves its own space to breathe. And on the other hand, you know, me and Sean had stuff to say, and I don't want to have an overstuffed two-hour-long, you know, podcast episode. So I'm making the prudent decision to divide this into a part one and a part two. So, of course, if you were on board listening to this episode, and thank you for doing so, to eavesdrop on that uh, conversation that Peter and Michael and I had, I thank you, I thank you. If you're interested to see what uh, Sean and I had to say about the conversation, I will say from Sean's perspective, uh, he's written for television, including MTV Celebrity Deathmatch. Uh, he has done shows for Amazon Prime. And he had some uh, experiences and insights into what you might call corporate censorship and self-censorship. As well as just discussing the role of satire in uh, comedy and entertainment in society, and then on my side, it's how does this fit into my book project? Like, what did I learn? What can I apply? What can I take forward? What stood out to me? We did have a pretty interesting conversation, but I'm going to release it as a part two. So if you're just finishing this episode, you'll know, just scroll down, and you there's or up, depending on how your uh, podcast service lists new episodes, and it'll say. Season 2, Episode 1, Part 2 with Sean Lynch. And that's going to be me and Sean uh, riffing on these themes. And we do talk about the interview and some of the things that came up in it. But he's such a goofball and we both won't shut up. Other things come up too. We spend some time talking about uh, humorous Christian album covers. We spend some time talking about Jewish space lasers. And other, other social or silly topics. So... If you're so inclined, look for part two, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Oh, and while I was talking to Sean, my friend Ian Harris from L.A. uh, called me, and I invited him to uh, call into the show if he had anything he wanted to sort of get off his chest. He had a little mini rant about arguing with people about raising the minimum wage. So that's going to be snuck into part two as well. So come and listen to Sean and me and a little bit of Ian Harris. Uh, Thank you so much. So let me just wrap up this part one of season two, episode one with some thank yous. So first of all, thank you, uh, Peter and Michael and everyone at Atheist Ireland that made this interview possible. Thank you to Jeff Geddert and Mark Bell for the new theme music. It's Mark Bell's organ music. And then with some additional uh, orchestration and instrumentation layered in produced by Jeff Geddert. Jeff Geddert also provides a production advice, and additional uh, written material for this podcast. I want to thank uh, Sean and Ian, although we'll hear more from them in part two. I do want to uh, thank you for listening. Please share, like, forward, follow. Also, April 11th, we're going to do another live Q&A. Did a couple of those in season one. It's also part of my live show. I do a Q&A with the audience. So some people seem to enjoy that. If you think of any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, Please email me, comicalheathen at gmail.com, or contact us through Facebook or Twitter, or leave some comments down below. We really appreciate you. This is a a self-produced, totally ad-free, independent podcast. And if you feel so inclined, we do have a donate button. There's a link down below that links with my other podcast, Gold Star Classroom, and then that has a donate button. So, of course, my friends make fun of me for making it un- unimaginably uh, complicated to ask people to donate a few dollars, but there is a way to do it. I really appreciate you. Otherwise, thank you for listening. I'll look for part two next week and I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. This is Dr. Jerry Jaffe. And remember, it may be your dogma, but it's my karma and I'm all about spreading the love.